I was a happy child. I was an artist. I love to go to school because I wanted to be with, with my, my friends. But unfortunately, something came along. Then I just sort of erupted and I just blurted out. I was abused. If they commit a crime, you look away. If a priest is allowed to go 20 to 30 years, there are several hundred victims per priest. Give us the time to think about it. Father, do you have time? When there are vulnerable children, do you have time? We have cases every day of the week where they're simply moved and put into ministry without telling anyone. Do you know who this man is? Luke. Luke Delft? We've spent the whole morning looking for Father Delft. It's been a bit of a wild goose chase, but now we're hearing that he's back at his office and we're heading there now. Hello, Father Delft? Yes. No, 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 no. Rome in all its grandeur. St. Peter's Basilica lights up the sky. All around is postcard perfect. But behind the high walls, turmoil roils the church. How do you get to be a bishop and you gotta be given an education about the rape of a child? better, but they're not doing better. The Pope has called a summit to discuss clerical child abuse. Bishops from around the world grappling with the scale of the tragedy. Files that could have documented the terrible deeds and named those responsible were destroyed or not even created. An unprecedented admission. Abuse survivors gather to be heard, demanding justice and change. The Catholic Church issues new guidelines, but survivors say they don't go far enough. There are some worrying gray areas. You may think you know this story, priests abusing children, but there is something you may not know. There are powerful institutions within the church who are free to self-police. In many cases, not even the Pope can sanction them. The religious orders, the Jesuits, Benedictines, Franciscans. Powerful, wealthy, and secretive. But according to experts, victims, witnesses we spoke with, there is one order that stands out as among the most defiant, most unrepentant, the Salesians of Don Bosco, the second largest order in the world, and whose very mission is to help vulnerable children. In a year-long CNN investigation through Europe, Africa, and across the United States, we found a pattern of behavior which saw many of the Salesian Brotherhood protecting each other, moving alleged abusers from place to place, country to country in some cases allegedly threatening whistleblowers 
and victims. Across continents, across decades. An order meant to protect children, but too many times hurts them instead. It wasn't just the one priest, it was several of them. They covered for each other. There's a bigger problem because how many times has he abused in the last 40 years? Two men separated by over a decade of time, but each's abuse and betrayal bleeds into the others. Lawyers say that when their client was a student at Richmond Salesian High School from 1969 to 1973, local television coverage of a shocking case. And in their lawsuit filed yesterday, they say other clergy at the school knew about it. In the late 60s, early 1970s, the Salesian High School in Richmond, California was a hunting ground for a ring of pedophile priests. I'm sorry. A self-protecting cluster. An anonymous victim John Doe 17 filed a lawsuit that was brought in 2003. John Doe 17 is Joey Piscatelli. I was kind of a happy child. I was an artist. I went to a Catholic grammar school. Uh, I got straight A's for eight years. When did that start to change? We were going to play pool. And the priest, who's the vice principal, he sat down at the bench. And he said, you shoot. And I said, OK. And I shot the ball. And I turned around and told him, it's your turn. And I looked at him, and he was sitting there masturbating. And I remember I, I turned all red. I started sweating. The hair on my neck was standing up. And I just stood there frozen. I didn't know what to do. And he said, keep playing. I want to watch you. And then I turned around, and the head of the boys' club, Brother Sal, was watching this, and he just stood there watching. He did nothing. Joey Piscatelli drew to cope with the abuse, his pictures becoming more vivid and violent, mirroring the nightmare he was living, a nightmare that only got worse. This went on for about a year and a half, and then um, one day he cornered me on the stairs and started molesting me and told me to get upstairs to the uh, all-purpose room on, uh, on the third floor of the school. And he dragged me into the room and attacked me, and I was raped. And I passed out and blacked out while it happened, and um, I just totally lost sense of what happened after he started attacking me. When I got home, well, I don't even know how I got home, but when I got home, I had blood in my underwear. So I went in the backyard of my house and I wrapped the bloody underwear around a rock and threw it over the fence into the field to get rid of the evidence or whatever. Uh, it was so disgusting and I knew I had been raped. According to Piscatelli, he was threatened when he reported it to a staff member. The principal of the school, Father Bernard de Benny, who's now a convicted molester, uh, told me that he was going to kick me out of school and fire my mother from the cafeteria because I have a big mouth. 
Threats and intimidation by the Salesians, a pattern you will see throughout this investigation. The Salesians fought Piscatelli's lawsuit at every turn. Like in these court documents, when they argued that Father Whelan, masturbating in front of a schoolboy, is acceptable if deemed funny. In 2006, Piscatelli won his case and was awarded $600,000. But more than that, he won public recognition of the appalling wrongs he'd suffered at Salesian hands. Father de Bene, the principal who threatened Piscatelli, also had a history of abuse. Over a decade before Joey Piscatelli started Salesian High School in Richmond, it was a Salesian seminary. It was where a teenage George Stein first met Bernard de Bene. I know it's not easy. To, to retell or to relive this, but could you tell us a little bit about what happened in your sophomore year at the seminary? Um, sure. You want me to talk about abuse or violation? Um, Only if you want to. Only sure. if you're comfortable no, doing sure, it. Sure, I can do it. He basically hugged me and kissed me and um, that was inappropriate and I wasn't expecting it at all and I, I told him that this happened and I wanted it to stop and for me it did uh, it stopped he remained there for the, the rest of the academic year and then he was uh, reassigned um, but he was reassigned to another school yes yes much later, Stein discovered the true horror hidden at the seminary. At our 40th anniversary of our graduation from high school, a third to a half um, shared that they'd had uh, occasion to um, be molested or to um, be approached. That's an extraordinary percentage of people in that room. Yes, yes, it is. The church says so much of this horror is in the past, but it's not. Only last year, the LA Archdiocese had to remove a Salesian priest from working within its school system after becoming aware of sexual abuse allegations dating back 40 years. Allegations that the Salesians had failed to act on. Patrick Wall was himself a religious order priest and to date has helped to investigate hundreds of clerical abuse cases. The Salesians are silencio. They have refused to uh, put out anything unless it's with a court order or unless the, the civil authorities force them to do something. In my experience, it's been that the Salesians have the highest percentage of perpetrators of any religious order across the world because of their focus. That focus being the betterment of the lives of children, which includes creating and teaching at schools, youth camps, clubs, and missionary work. The Salesians of Don Bosco, now a worldwide organization working in more than 130 countries, helping millions of children. But as our investigation across three continents found, not always protecting them. Coming up, Benjamin Kotobo fled his home in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but his demons followed him.
Benjamin Kotobo with the taped confession of his abuser. Capturing it was the start, he says, of taking his life back. The man on the tape, Father Omer Verbeke, a Belgian priest stationed in Kotobo's then home of the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Africa. But it wasn't just one time. Kotobo says it went on for years at the seminary where he was a teenager, studying to be a priest in the 1980s. He says, I don't understand. I repent to God. What more should I do to ask forgiveness? How did that make you feel? How does it make you feel? No, oh, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's disturbing. From his home in St. Louis, Kotobo filed a claim against Verbeke in Ghent, Belgium, where Bishop of Ghent, Lucas van Looy, a Silesian superstar, took over the handling of the case. Kotobo was awarded compensation and says van Looy promised him Verbeke would no longer be around young people. As Bishop of Ghent, van Looy had oversight of Verbeke and he failed to keep him in Belgium, failed to keep him away from children. In 2014, you had discovered that he had set up an orphanage in Rwanda, and so, of course, was around children. Did the Bishop of Ghent respond to you? Yes, but uh, the response was just uh, too lame. Yeah, we do have a monitoring system for suspected pedophile priests here. Van Looy refused CNN's request for an on-camera interview and insisted he repeatedly imposed a travel ban on Verbeke, but admitted to us Verbeke had ignored the ban. Verbeke is not a Salesian priest, but as we left St. Louis, it was clear to us that senior Salesians such as Van Looy are in positions to affect the handling of abuse allegations even in the case of non-Salesians like Verbeke. Before leaving the aircraft, take a quick look around your seat. Make sure you have everything you brought on board. Through our investigation, it's becoming clear that even as the Pope recommends universal principles of conduct, the orders, the Salesians, continue business as usual. We're in Ghent, in Belgium, because so many of the allegations lead us back here. Bishop Van Looy was not just involved in the case of Father Verbeke. There were many other cases, like Father Luke Delft. Father Luke Delft, a dormitory supervisor convicted in 2012 regarding previous abuse at a Salesian boarding school in Ghent. Yet again, there was an opportunity to stop an abuser and yet again, the Salesians failed. Spurred by concerns, Delft could still be interacting with children. Two of the boarding school victims agreed to speak with us. I was 12, so everybody was 12, 13 years old. And suddenly, uh, at night, someone was trying to pull off my blankets. The day after, I know, I remember, I told my, one of my best friends that I had a really weird dream involving uh, getting touched in places uh, which were weird. And at the beginning we were laughing about it because one of the kids told us, yeah, I had like a dream and uh, I came in my dream 
but afterwards, yeah, we heard we heard the, the horrible facts. So, so yeah. And the next night, um, I woke up again, and then I realized I was really awake, and then I felt, uh, yeah, someone um, touching my legs and my uh, genitals, and also, um, yeah, giving me oral. Uh, I don't know how to say it. It was Father Luke Delft, a dormitory supervisor at the school and a rising Salesian star. CNN has learned Delft was moved by the Salesian order after being confronted over the allegations. He was sent to work with a number of different schools in Belgium. Then the Salesians sent him abroad to one of the most vulnerable countries in the world. Do you know who this man is? Father Luke Delft was, we're told, marked for greatness. Charming, intelligent, expected to rocket up the ranks of his Catholic religious order, the Salesians of Don Bosco. He was also a serial pedophile. In 2001, Delft worked as a bedroom monitor at a Salesian boarding school in Ghent, Belgium, when he sexually assaulted two boys, aged 12 and 13 at the time. After a few nights of this ordeal, one of the students struck up the courage to speak to someone they trusted. One of the victims... Uh, Wim Hansen's was the deputy director of the boarding school. There was no moment in my mind when a child comes to tell you this, that it happened. You believed him immediately? Yeah. The day afterwards, another boy came to me and told me the same story. At that moment, I wrote down on a paper what these kids told me. I called Luke Delft. I show him on the paper what these children told me. And first he said, I just caressed them. But when I let him read that he touched the genitals of those kids, he confessed and I asked him to sign this paper, which he did. A signed confession. Hansen's asked Delft to leave the school and made sure the Salesian order were aware. Hansen says the Salesians promised him and the parents of the boys that Delft would never be around children again. CNN has learned that this promise has been repeatedly broken as Salesian leaders in Belgium moved the confessed pedophile priest from one school to another and allowed him to travel abroad. Ghent, St. Peter's Wallowo, Haiti, India, and supervising children on a school trip to the Congo. In 2012, Luke Delft was convicted for the abuse of children in the Don Bosco dormitory, to which he had confessed in 2001. It was only when a former staff member finally did what Salesian leaders had not, reported Delft to the authorities. During the trial, it was also revealed that he had twice been caught with child pornography on his laptop. Delft received a suspended sentence. His restrictions clear. 
no interactions with children for the next 10 years. Were he to break these rules, he would face a new trial and possible imprisonment. Hansen says he paid a high price for speaking out against the Salesians. They can break him. And they broke me. So yes, I had to leave because I'm like a kind of danger, according to them. Although I think they should be grateful. Otherwise, I don't know what would have happened to those victims. He says he was blacklisted from Salesian schools in the area after reporting the inappropriate behavior of a number of priests. The Salesians deny his accusation. Time and time again, we have seen a pattern of behavior by the Salesians to systematically move known pedophiles and to intimidate those who want to protect children. It's always the system. Move that person to another place and we'll see. But once convicted, would the Salesians really risk giving Delft access to children again? We set out in search of Delft. Much of what we know about his movements are from his own social media posts. Our research is zeroing in on a remote town in the Central African Republic, Kagabanduru. So that's where we're heading. The only safe way for us to get to the town is on a United Nations humanitarian flight. It's taken us about two days, three different planes, to get up here to the north of the Central African Republic. If you were trying to disappear, this would definitely be suitably remote. UNICEF has called it one of the worst places in the world to be a child, falling to the bottom of the UN Human Development Index. A shaky peace deal is barely holding. United Nations forces on constant watch. The day we arrive, the threat level is almost at its highest. When Father Delft arrived here, part of his work involved caring for families and children forced from their homes by violence. Incredibly vulnerable families and children. The young training to be altar servers. The Catholic Church has a strong presence in this community and throughout the country. Four years ago, the Pope came and blessed the Christians of the Central African Republic. Hundreds of people celebrating. In the crowd, we spot Luke Delft. And in this promotional video for Caritas, the Catholic Church's relief agency, he's even featured as a key director for the agency. Delft was sent here by the Belgian Salesians, well aware of the court restrictions on him. The Catholic compound in Kagabandur, right behind is a school. This is where the Caritas office was and still is. 
This is where Luke Delft was based. Caritas here under Delft was in charge of looking after internally displaced people, providing food, education, and medicine. We have been told that it was during this period that Delft was once again abusing children. Our local producer has found the family of an alleged victim who may be willing to speak with us. It's proving really difficult to get people to speak to us on camera. People are really afraid. We're gonna jump out here and try one last time. Elle est vraiment désolée pour cette situation. Si vous voulez pas, votre fils ne parle pas, vous pouvez également dire un petit truc sur cette situation. As we drive away, we pass the burnt-down courthouse, a reminder that there are no real avenues for justice here. Next, a race against time to track down this known paedophile. We've spent the whole morning looking for Father Delft. It's been a bit of a wild goose chase, but now we're hearing that he's back at his office and we're heading there now. Hello, Father Jacks. Yes. No, 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 no. congregants in song. As the Pope oversees a mass at the Vatican celebrating the work of Caritas, the Catholic Church's relief charity, we found Father Luke Delft, convicted paedophile, among the congregation. Head bowed, he accepts the Blessed Sacrament. As director of Caritas in the Central African Republic, Delft traveled freely attending this service only a month before we would try to visit him. We've heard that Delft has continued to abuse children, but so far, no one is willing to speak on camera. It's here in Kagabanduro that Delft first worked for Caritas, the Catholic charity. Their mission, to protect the most vulnerable. It's also here that we're hearing whispers of possible new victims. Finally, a breakthrough at the local displaced camp on the outskirts of town, Alban and his father agree to speak to us. Do you know who this man is? Luc. Père Luc? He's a camarade of the Bongo. He's a camarade of the Bongo. He became your friend. What happened? It's clear Alba is too upset to talk much more. 
So we asked his father if he can explain what happened. What did Father Delph do? That was clearly really tough for both Alba and his father, but we had to show them this picture. We had to know that the man that Alba says abused him is Father Luke Delft. What happened in there clearly came at such great cost for both of them, but it was something that they told us again and again they needed to do because justice is not easy to get up here. We leave Kagabandura. It's time to track down Delft. This is Bangui, capital of the Central African Republic. We've traveled here from the north where we met Alba. Caritas Centrafrique's headquarters is here. Sunday, and we get an early morning wake-up call. Our contacts are telling us he regularly celebrates mass in the area. We try the churches. He's nowhere to be found. We try him at his residence, but he hasn't spent the night. Nothing. We've spent the whole morning looking for Father Delft. It's been a bit of a wild goose chase, but now we're hearing that he's back at his office and we're heading there now. Hello, Father Delft. Yes. Hi. No, 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 no. We spoke to the prosecutor in Belgium. So we might as well need to ask you some questions about breaking the terms of your sentence. We also spoke to some children up in Kagabandura who had some really disturbing stories to share with us. And of course, we want to hear what you have to say about it, Father Delft. Nothing. What do you mean, nothing? Nothing. You're a priest, you're a man of God. These children are accusing you of abusing them and you have nothing to say for yourself? No. Do you know Alba? Do you remember Alba? He said he was 13 when you abused him. Do you remember him? Oh. Alban? Alban, in Kagabandur. At the compound, the Catholic compound. He and his father spoke to us. He was crying. He said that you told him you loved him. And then you hurt him. You have nothing to no, say. No. no. It doesn't disturb you to hear that children said this about you. Do you want to say anything? No. Well, we will of course be speaking to the um, the managers of Caritas about our findings. Thank you for whatever this was.
had absolutely, he had nothing to say for himself. He was utterly blank. He didn't care. He did not care. He didn't remember, you could see it in his eyes, that he didn't remember that little boy's name. The things that he, that little boy told us, the bravery that that little boy showed in speaking to us, and that man in there didn't remember him. travel back to Belgium to share the evidence we've gathered with the Salesian Order. Maybe we can get answers here. Father Carlo Lutz has been handling allegations of child abuse for the Flemish region of the Salesian Order for almost a decade. The Order's work with young children, he tells us, complicates the question of where to relocate abusers. That's one of the greatest challenges, where, what to do with uh, yeah, abusers. You have to move them to another place, but we don't have so much alternatives. So specifically in the case of Father Delft, as you remember it, how was it handled? He abused two members of the boarding school in Ghent. He was at that moment immediately removed from the boarding school. Uh, the decision was clear, no direct uh, uh, pedagogical contact with young people. So he became um, an, um, a coordinator, administrator of a center you know, vocational and, and educational training in, in, in St. Peter's Wallaway. St. Peter's Wallaway, which is a school though. So the center is housed within a school. Yeah, but separately. But there were children on the campus. There were children on the campus, yeah. Eventually, Delft got into trouble again. He was found with child pornography on a laptop that he had had access to. Uh, yes, yeah. Were you aware that in 2008, Luke Delft went on a school trip with children to Lubumbashi in the Congo? When you, yeah, when you, now when you say it to me, yeah. And yet still, the Salesians sent him to the Central African Republic, where CNN found his latest accusers. What will you do now with Father Delft? We have an, an advisory commission about cases about sexual abuse. And for us, these are new facts. And I will bring together that, um, that commission, and there we will discuss how to handle concretely, but at least um, give us the time to think about it. Eh? At, uh, when, uh, when people... Father, do you have time when there are vulnerable children? Do you have time? But at least uh, we met first Friday, now it's Tuesday, and now you, you proved me that there are new cases. So, also, you took some time. So we will not take time in the sense of months, of weeks, eh? and, and a very short time. I will bring people together who can help us. What has to be done concretely, and what will be the most appropriate way to handle? Eh? You've been handling child abuse cases now for eight, nine years. Yeah. How is that? How does that feel? 
Shame. But shame doesn't help the survivors we spoke with. We travel to the Vatican for answers. CNN has uncovered a blind spot within the church that allows religious orders to self-police. One order, the Salesians, have used this blind spot to protect their own, putting the brotherhood before children, putting lives at risk. We came to the Vatican to share the evidence that we were able to unearth over a year-long investigation. Evidence of abusers being moved, evidence of a refusal to defrock abusers, evidence of lives being destroyed. But many of the key institutions refuse to even speak to us. And that doesn't give much hope for the church's commitment to transparency and change. How is it that even presented with evidence, allegations of a convicted paedophile's continuing abuse, Father Luke Delft was not immediately recalled from the Central African Republic? Caritas Internationalis' new head of safeguarding says the Salesians did not contact them about the current allegations against Caritas's former director, Luke Delft. So you were only made aware when we contacted you? Yes, and, and from what information you shared with us, there are, there are new allegations there which need to be investigated, hopefully by, by the police or, or at least internally by the church, to, to take action against Father Luke and any other person who is responsible for Father Luke's behaviour. And in order for that to happen? We need to have systems at work, we need to have people that follow the systems, and when the systems are not followed, there needs to be consequences. Yet again, the Salesians appear to have withheld information from others in the church. We are still looking to understand how this is possible. But the Vatican says things are changing and they are encouraged by the new papal guidelines issued just this year. Father Hans Zollner is on the Pope's Commission for the Protection of Minors. He was one of the few people who agreed to talk with us. This is a, a very important step forward in the development of a culture of accountability. Does this apply though to the Holy Orders? Because the Holy Orders will not directly fall under that bishop. Now, the, 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 the congregations and the religious orders uh, follow a different type of uh, structure and legal, um, um, legal procedures. Many people think the Catholic Church is a monolithic block with one uh, CEO uh, who is the Pope and he presses a button and every bishop and every priest and every Catholic actually salute and they follow what he does. Uh, and that is not the case. In some cases, in way too many cases, uh, the super religious superiors did not follow through canon law. But the fact is they did not follow yeah. through canon law and there was no oversight mechanism that made any note of that. So there are no sanctions. There have been no sanctions for that. There, if there are no sanctions within the, the community, which is in that case an order or a congregation, then there is almost no possibility to do that.
An order that is almost untouchable, even by the Pope. Religious orders like the Salesians are left to act with almost no external accountability. When you put the institution first and not the people for, for whom you serve, then that is the, the biggest problem. In the centuries of its existence, this is the heart of the battle within the church. Could these new papal guidelines make a difference? The way they're written makes it unclear how they will even be applied to religious orders. Survivors tell us it's impossible to have faith in a church that isn't holding everyone equally to account. Meanwhile, they're the ones left to struggle with the hurt.